Uh, I'm Tyler, and this is Katie, and we are married. We've been married for four years. Uh, uh, this is our our first big group session as in a different building besides in a different building besides that at home or something. But we've been called a marriage ministry, and we've been uh, helping married couples for a couple months now. And we've just been we're called and we're we're on fire for marriage. That's what we, that's what we're passionate about. And that's what God's laid on us. We just uh, today in particular when we were praying about what we're going to do this week, um, I just heard married for marriage. And if you know anything about marriage in the Bible, you know that marriage is the image that God chose to picture his relationship with man in the church. So out of anything that he could have chosen, he chose marriage as the imagery between God and man. And so to me, I mean, that speaks volumes as how important marriage is. If that's something that God has called in his word, a holy institution. So what does that mean, a holy institution? You know, we think of the word institution as like either like a psychiatric place that's kind of cold and clean or like maybe a church or a government or something like that. But, you know, all it means is it's something that God has created and meant for something much higher than human flesh can probably deem it. So. Um, so just to, to open it up, it's today's going to be about, you know, how our marriages are supposed to mirror not only the relationship between Christ and the church, but a personal level of our relationship with Christ. And then um, just kind of how, you know, you can kind of understand what your relationship with Christ is looking like based on your relationship in your marriage. And so just how God can use those things to kind of uh, teach us and open our eyes to some, some things that may be going on that we're not seeing. So, yeah, that's true. Uh, and she said mirrored marriage. And it's kind of funny because God God's great and he can change things for each person. And I was trying to study on mirrored marriage, but I, I kept going to people who before, before they get married and they're looking for a spouse. And because there's... There's tons of Christians out there, and the statistics are that people who are people aren't getting married as often as they used to. And it's just I don't. It's the world taking over marriage, God's institution, and making it something it's not. And he's and the world has perverted marriage. They've made it to where people don't want to get married. They've made it to where uh, if you get married, your your life's just going to be awful. You're, it's going to go crazy. You're you're going to be tied down. You can't do anything fun anymore. And it's right the opposite. And it's it's a blessing to be married. And if you don't think it's a blessing, then it's because you don't have God as your center of your, your marriage. And then if you have God as the center of your marriage, then your marriage is going to flourish and blossom and be amazing. Uh, but anyway, with all that said, uh, God had it on me to talk to people who haven't been. Just a little. It's not going to be a full sermon. It's just a little little bit. And uh, uh, anyways, when, I go, when I go to Genesis... I, I was reading about when uh, God had Adam name all the animals, and uh, he said that uh, he had him name the animals, gave him a job, basically gave him a job. That's that's the only thing I could, the term I could use to come up with it. And uh, he did not have a spouse at that time yet. And the reason I, the, it, 
and it was just I've read it. I don't know, I've heard it preached. I've read it, and I've never noticed this. But God gave Adam a job before He met Eve, right? And I I feel like people are too couple or single people are too stuck on trying to find someone and not just focusing on God. They'll go to you go to church because you're too busy trying to find someone in church. Are you uh, everywhere you look? You're, you're flirt- you have to see people flirting with people for no, absolutely no reason. They're not interested in dating or to become married. They're not interested in anything. They're interested in uh, just self pleasure for that moment in time. It's that it's that little like they get that makes them feel good. It's the same thing. Uh, but I feel like people lose track of God trying to search for their spouse and losing track of God is is going to take that make that longer we've known people who <laughs> who have focused on more about other things than focusing on God they look at every person they come in contact with every guy that or girl that they winks at them or whatever and uh I just think that we need to go back to the beginning the number one who should and and we've and we've watched it we've told people this and then once they once they t- put that into practice and they start go- seeking God more and more and more and more, their spouse just comes out of nowhere. They weren't even looking for their spouse. And uh, anything you want to add on that? Yeah, it's just um, if we understand marriage as an image of you know how God views man and church and cross. You know, we should have that view of marriage prior to being married. We should honor the institution of marriage before you're even married. In the sense of how I live and how I behave prior to marriage is going to be a message to my future spouse. So am I going to live like hell all the time, you know, because I can. I'm not tied down. I flirt with whoever comes across because I don't have a spouse you know, is that an honoring lifestyle to the spouse that you're praying for? You know, do I flirt with every single man that crosses my way or woman? You know, do I um, am I studying scripture to tell me what does a, a godly spouse look like? Am I trying to be those things now before I'm married? Or am I thinking, oh, I'll get married and then I'll figure it out? You know, like it's something that's going to be easy to do. <laughs> marriage is hard enough than trying to add more homework to marriage once you're married. So in the sense, so if you're single and you're listening to this, you know, I would urge you to first find your biblical view of marriage and what you believe about that. Start putting into practice now. You know, pray for your spouse. Pray for your pray for your spouse. My mom had taught me, uh, she told me to pray for my spouse since I was little. Because she used to do that for my daddy, even before she knew him or what his name was. So my whole life I would just have like this thought, pray for your husband. And I had no idea that, you know, we crossed paths all the time because his church was literally right down the road from our house. Every Sunday we'd pass them, you know, but I would just have these urges throughout my life to pray for my spouse. And of course, those prayers went from selfish prayers of don't let him have any other girlfriends (laughs) to when I got closer to finding him, I actually was praying more and more for his spiritual life. You know, set him on fire for you. Show him your path. Don't let him make any decisions that would you know, hurt him, help his emotional help, help his family help, help his spiritual help. And what's funny is there was a time pretty close to us meeting where I just had this sudden urge to pray for him. 
And around the same time, he was actually thinking about joining the military. So when we talked about it later, so it's probably very likely that the day he was driving to, was it a Marine office? Just like the Army place to sign up, that was the day on my break at work, I started feeling a powerful need to intercede on behalf of my husband. I didn't know his name yet. Yeah. So just a, a thing to start praying for your spouse as if they are your spouse, because God already knows the name of your spouse. And, you know, that. so start living and behaving as if you are with them already. Honor your spouse in your lifestyle now and not just when you meet them. And the, and the reason why I was going to join the military is because I had exhausted all options. <laughs> and I felt like the last resort was to do something that I'd always wanted to do. And I kept seeking, like, I would see God, and then somebody would try to take me away from God. And I'd see God, and then try to take me away from God. So I was just focusing on God. My wife just, we, we described, we said this morning, it's like a, a race. And you just, you meet in the middle, and then you go to the finish line. Mm-hmm. You don't have to sit there and... Constantly look, just focus on the finish line, and your wife will, your husband will come meeting you in the middle. So, so we just had a heart to speak to anyone listening who doesn't have their spouse yet. You know, start uh, start investing in that relationship now by prayer, by intercession for your spouse, and by your lifestyle focusing now on what does it look like to be a godly wife and a godly husband. Let's figure that out before you get married instead of trying to figure that out. Yeah. But, all right. You feel good? Yeah. Yeah. All right. So this all came from, like I kind of mentioned in the front, um, the scripture that kind of talks about how marriage is an image of the relationship with church and the uh, Christ and the church is Ephesians 5, 22 through 30. And so this, I'll read it. It's kind of lengthy, but I think that it's necessary to hear. So um, it says, Wives, be subject to your own husbands as a service to the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife, as Christ is head of the church, himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also wives should be subject to their husbands in everything. And respecting both their position as protector and their responsibility to God as head of the house. And I just want to take a note here because I'm a wife and a woman, I'll speak to wife and women because it's I understand you. I can't always understand a man's position. Um, one thing that I always claim, and it's kind of for the husbands, but for the wives too, but the the thought of submission shouldn't scare you. You know, if you have a right view of marriage and of Christ then submission, godly submission to your spouse should not scare you. So just like when you become a Christian, you know, serving the Lord doesn't scare you. You may, of course, have some unknowns like, what are you going to, what kind of thing are you going to take me through in life and all that stuff. <laughs> but you you become a Christian knowing that my ADD is kicking. <laughs> you become a Christian knowing that um, service to the Lord is what you want to do for the rest of your life. You know, you're not necessarily thinking that you're giving up all your freedoms. And if you are thinking that, you're thinking about Christianity in the wrong way. You know, when you get saved, it is a pleasure to stop living the lifestyle that you lived before and to change to become a servant of Christ. In the same way, when we get married, 
and you have a right view of marriage, becoming a servant to your spouse is not a scary idea. Um, sometimes you can fear, well, if I do what I'm supposed to be doing for my husband, you know, if I serve him all the time, if I do this for my husband all the time, well, who's going to meet my needs? You know, how do I know he's going to do what he's supposed to do if I'm not nagging him all the time and doing all this stuff? But Christ says, regardless of how your spouse treats you, these are what you're called to do in your marriage. Wives, be submissive to your husband. Respect your husband in their position as head of the household. And if you as a woman can't respect your husband in that position because you're too afraid that, well, if I let my guard down, if I'm not always making sure of all these things, then he's not going to do his role. Well, that's an ungodly need for control, and it hinders him from being exactly who God's called him to be if you're not in your role and letting him be who God has called him to be. So I say it all the time. If husbands are loving their wives correctly as Christ loves the church, then it is not scary as a woman to be submissive to my husband. Just as I don't fear serving Christ because I know that he's for me and he loves me and he covers me, I also don't fear serving my husband because I know that he's for me and he loves me and he covers me. Because in a godly marriage, that marriage is supposed to be, just as your relationship with Christ, a stronghold that you run to. God made the marriage institution to be a place of peace and of love and of understanding and acceptance and not of rejection and not a place of of judgment and not a place of shame or anything like that. So for the wives out there, you know, to <laughs> just for your, this is, I hand out all my notes and I wrote Ephesians 5, 25 through 32. This small section is to the women and this large section is to the men. Okay. So when we women hear submission, the world has told us that that means it's a negative connotation. But if you knew the responsibility that's on the shoulders of men as head of the household, you would understand why we can honor our spouse in the heavy calling that's on their life and help them to carry that role. It is not making me less than because he's head of the household. I honestly don't want that on my shoulders. It's a heavy call. What I do want to do is my role, which God made me as helper of my husband, to uplift him in him, in his way as God is leading him as head of the household. Because he's got a heavy load on his shoulders. So when we're thinking of marriage rightly, getting our minds renewed and viewing marriage as the relationship between Christ and the church and why God chose this institution as an image to the world of his gospel, then that puts a responsibility on us as Christians in our marriages to make sure we're imaging that to the world, to our children, to the people around us who know we're Christian. You know? No, I was just going to say that uh, and a woman's role has got a lot on you as well. It's not it's not the heaviness of being the head of the household. But, and, I, and another thing that God's been touching on me is that Everybody thinks that women should take care of the children and raise the children, but they're missing the fact that the man is the head of the household and he is what shows God, and he is supposed to show them God. People have given that role to women and not men, and I think that's something that if, you're, if your household is 
out is slightly out of order, things can start going crazy and things like. We, I mean, we've had ex we had experience with that when we first got married. Yes. Like, uh, I did. My dad never did that kind of stuff. Uh, my mom, you know, told us about God and things like that, but it wasn't it wasn't the way it should have been. Yeah. And I feel like that can hinder any any. It doesn't matter how good a marriage is. It can hinder that. Yeah. So I just I wanted to press on that a little bit too. But. And so, um, to the husbands next, it says to love your wives, seek the highest good for her, and surround her with a caring, unselfish love, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify the church, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in glorious splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. Even so, husbands should and are morally obligated to love their own wives as being, in a sense, their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself, for no one hated his own body, but instead he nourishes and protects and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and shall be joined and faithfully devoted to his wife, and two shall become one flesh. This mystery of two becoming one is great, but I'm speaking with reference to the relationship of Christ in the church. And so um, in Genesis, we hear the, for the first time this reference to, and the two shall become one flesh. So one thing that I've seen too much in Christian marriages is we get married and we say, I do, and we probably read this scripture at our marriage about two becoming one and leaving the mother and the father and, you know, leave and cleave. And we say those things, but do we actually believe that? And do we play that role in our marriage? The two become one. And too much I see Christian couples entering marriage saying they want to become one, but living in a way that is constantly cutting the one flesh between them. Separate bank accounts. You know, we have separate friend lives. We have separate social lives, you know, separate hobbies. Everything about your marriage is separate, but you want to be one. You know, you're always saying, why aren't we intimate? Why aren't we close? But your entire lifestyle is separateness. You know, becoming one flesh is literally that. It's not a popular thing to say, but you are losing yourself when you get married. Now, that sounds really bad, but hold with me for a little bit. Because when you become a Christian, what do you do? You lose yourself. You die to self, right? And because marriage is an image of the gospel, the things that we have to do in marriage are similar to our lifestyle as a Christian. We, but what do we do when we enter into relationship with Christ? We die to self and we become a servant. Well, when you enter into marriage, you die to self. You are no longer one flesh of your own. You're becoming a new creation with your spouse. So just like when you are saved and you become a new creation in Christ, you become a new creation, a new one flesh with your spouse. So the old you has passed away. The new you is one flesh with your spouse. Now, if I if this is happening in the spiritual, but I'm living physically as my old self, my one self, your marriage is not going to work. You're setting yourself up for failure because marriage does not work separate. You cannot be two trying to live as one 
and living a life that is preaching the gospel. So the very first thing that you have to fix when your marriage is being separated is that becoming of one. Is getting your flesh out of the way, dying to yourself, and becoming a servant of your spouse. You know, marriage is servitude. It isn't the next step in your relationship after engagement. It's not what you do when you're with someone for three, five, seven years and we have nowhere to go but marriage. Marriage is a holy institution ordained by God to mirror the gospel. So first we need to get a right understanding of marriage before we enter into it. Because if you enter into it with anything other than I'm signing up for a lifetime commitment of servitude to you Mm -hmm. that preaches the gospel to the world, you're going to fail. Because that has to be the foundation of your marriage for it to work and to flourish is I'm dying to self and becoming one flesh with you. Now, in this world of uniqueness and individuality and my truth and my reality, that's why marriage is failing, because this world teaches you it's all about you all the time. Now it's creeping into the church. You know, Christ is for you and your wants and your happiness. And we, you know, we spend so much time thinking about us, our struggle, our sin, what's wrong with us that our whole life is so pinpointed inward, we have a dying world outward, and we wonder why the gospel isn't working anymore. Well, because it's not the true gospel. It's a self-centered gospel that's all about what's going to make me happy, what's going to give me pleasure, you know, what's going to let me stay my own self but claim Christ at the same time. In the same way, we sign up for marriage thinking, well, you know, I want to be married. I want to have a relationship when I want it. You know, I want you here when I need you, but the rest of my life is going to be lived for myself. We do the same thing with Christ today. You know, I want to be a Christian when I'm sad or when I'm anxious, you know, or when I go through a hard time, but the rest of my life I'm going to live for myself. We do, you know, so it's we're seeing in the world how that understanding of Christ is creeping into our marriages and so we have faulty foundations before we even start. That's another thing is, is this that what we're talking about isn't for people who are living together before they get married. It's not. No. So it, you can't apply any of these. They're not going to work. Mm-hmm. You're going to still be in sin. You're still going to be living unrighteously. It's not for homosexual marriage. It's not for any other marriage than what God has ordained. So... If you want to, you want to see, you want to see change. You see God, and God's not doing anything. But you're, you're like wondering, where is God? Are you living in sin? Are you living? Cohabitation is like the new thing now, is it not? Instead of getting married, I can leave whenever I want to. You know, it's it's okay, it's cool, it's whatever. You, you're, you're, and they do the same thing with God. It's like, God, I want just enough God to where I can feel good one day. On the Sunday, I can take a picture of myself, put it on Facebook, and then the rest of the week, I'm living with my cohabitant, not your spouse. You can play marriage, but you can't play marriage until you make that commitment, the same commitment you make to God. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, and I've had, uh, I've, I've literally seen, and this is the problem, is the world is the world, and we know in Scripture that we don't judge the world because they're condemned already Mm -hmm. but we do judge the church and those who claim to be christians so when you claim christ you are opening the door for people to judge your fruit 
Okay, so let's just get that out on the table. So it's not us being harsh, judgmental people when you're claiming Christ, but you're living in sin. So no, you don't get to cohabitate with your fiance just because y'all are getting married in a week, in two weeks, in two days. Sin doesn't get to just come in because you have some explanation for it. As the old saying goes, you can test drive a car, so you should be able to test drive marriage. You yeah. don't get to do that. It's not that way. Sorry. Well, you know, my, well, everyone here probably knows my background is in marriage and family counseling. And there are secular studies done that show cohabitating before marriage actually increases your risk for divorce. Mm-hmm. And obviously, there can be many different facets of that. To me, I think the main uh, the main problem is you don't have a godly view of marriage. Because if you did, you wouldn't be living in sin, obviously. We yeah. would understand the sacredity that marriage is and we wouldn't abuse it. But so let's destroy the lie right now that you have to live with your spouse to make sure that you can live together before you get married. Because I don't think that's biblical. Last I checked, you know, you don't have to test from yeah. your spouse. If they're good enough to live with unmarried, they're good enough to live with married, right? There's no change that magical change that's going to happen just by getting married. Another thing, don't get married thinking that marriage is going to change somebody <laughs> either. Yeah. Because putting a ring on your finger doesn't magically change the character of the person you've chosen as your spouse. So let's be mindful and prayerful about who we're choosing to marry and not just marry someone because we've been dating them for a little bit and well. I've been dating. Let's get married. No. Make sure that this person has the same values, the same goals, the same beliefs about the Lord. You know, don't just get married to someone because marriage is a lifetime commitment and it's holy and it's sacred. And let's start treating it as such. Yeah. And, and in Ephesians, when Kay was reading about, uh, Husbands love your wife as Christ loved the church. And what did Christ do? Ultimately, he sacrificed. That's the ultimate thing he did. Or he did. And uh, I feel like, and I've seen it everywhere, men that they don't want to grow up. We've been, men have been told in this culture that, you know, that, that women will do it. Don't worry about it. They'll take care of it. I mean, I mean I've seen it in my own, my own family. Uh, men just want to sit at home. You know, watch TV, do whatever, whatever, you know. And uh, I feel like that that's the reason why we see not just secular marriages, but Christian marriages fail constantly, day after day. It's because men don't want to take responsibility for what has been. If you signed up to marriage, you signed up for that responsibility, regardless if you wanted it or not. Mm-hmm. So I think that it's just a little short, but I think that that's something that men need to, to listen to and take take part of and take a hold of it. And uh, and I think that men don't want to sacrifice anything for their wife. They don't want to sacrifice their time, their energy. Their, uh, I've seen people that put their children, put more energy in their children than they do their own spouse. And that's that's obviously unbiblical. Mm-hmm. It says that your spouse comes after God and before your children. We must know that. Uh, uh, I just feel like that's something that has been pressed into men lately, and I don't, I don't, I don't know why. I don't. I guess it's the culture we live in nowadays. But I mean, I, and men at work are just all about, you know, 
sports and whatever, which it's fine to like that stuff, but you couldn't pull your spouse. Yeah. That's the problem. And then you look at their fruit of their marriage and it's it's not good. Yeah. So and they're usually the ones that want to give you marital advice. Yes, yes. <laughs> the people. People from my work. I've had oh people my from God. my work Like when we first got married, I had people be like, "Oh, you, you spend all your time with your husband. Just wait, you know, two years. You're gonna hate their guts. You don't want to be in the same room with them." Well, we're at almost four years, and he's still my favorite person to be with all the time. Because most likely, the reason that your marriage is so unhappy is because you're not investing. You're probably not living right. You're, you know, if you're if you're being so disrespectful to your husband that you can talk that bad about him to your coworkers at work, most likely you're not being respectful enough in the home. That's actually creating an atmosphere of a loving marriage. So don't give me marriage advice if you're not living rightly. Or you're <laughs> yeah. And you and you shack up with your wife. Well, I mean, it's so just, whatever. Like it, it just you gotta stick with the Bible. Yeah. It's the same way though, like. Um, like another thing they would say with the women particularly oh you won't want sex down the road with your husband you know that's you're just honeymooning right now but one day it's just one more chore to add to the thing and i'm like well that's definitely how you're going to feel if your marriage isn't in order for one my children will always come after him so one more chore of serving my spouse in intimacy that's because I've put other things ahead of my marriage. If I mean, I'm just gonna say it today. But there's only like there's a couple things in Bible that God tells us to do on a daily basis. Okay, one of those things God tells us to do is have sex as a married couple. Okay, and technically the only time you're not supposed to be having sex is if you're fasting and your partner agrees with you. If they agree. If they agree with you. And then he says, but make sure you hurry and have sex again before the tempter comes in and tempts you. So if you're not having sex in your marriage, something is wrong. Okay? That is a very high indicator that there's something wrong in your marriage. And and that's kind of the point I wanted to get to also in today. Is because we know that the picture of Christ in the church is an image of marriage. It's very possible that the things that we're experiencing in our marriage could be indicators of some things that are going on on the spiritual level. Um, for instance, I'm always very vulnerable when I teach or anything because I believe my testimony is supposed to be used by God. So recently, I've just been going through a lot of growth when it comes to trusting God. <laughs> and my personality pop is perfectionist pop A and I'm in control and I've realized that those things are rooted in a mistrust of God quite honestly and so as I've been working through that I had someone tell me uh it was my sister actually she was like you're mistrusting your husband who's giving you no reason to mistrust him because of a root problem of trusting God and my whole world just shattered because I was like there's so many times that I would be like, why do I have that thought cross my mind of distrust in him? Because I know he would never do it, but it would be like, what if, what if, what if, you know? But if I don't have a trust in God, how am I ever going to trust a man, right? So that was just one way that something I struggled with in marriage was actually indicating you may be dealing with this on your spiritual level. Another thing that is uh, very common is intimacy. If you're having problems with intimacy with your spouse, it's very likely you're not 
getting intimacy with God. Because when you're intimate with God, everything else in your life is going to fall into place. So if you have a problem becoming intimate with the Lord and vulnerable and letting him see all of you, you're definitely not going to let a human see all of you, you know? Another area that's very common is rejection. If you're constantly hearing rejection from your spouse, even if they're just saying anything and you hear an underlining tone of rejection, most likely you need to work on some stuff with a feeling of rejection from the Lord. Because when we know who we are and are rooted in, with who we are in Christ yeah. and know that he has affirmed us, then we're not going to be hearing every single thing through a lens of rejection. Yeah. Right. And so I was just um, showing like, it's just like an escalator. My dad pointed something out to me the other day, like an escalator with Christ. You know, if you're not going up in your walk with Christ, you're stalled or you're going back. There is no growth happening if you're not always continuing. Marriage is the same. It is not, <laughs> it's a mirror of your relationship with Christ. You do not just sign up for marriage and then everything from there is smooth sailing for the rest of your life. The day you stop being intentional about your marriage is the day your marriage starts failing. That sounds really harsh, but it's true. The day I stop pouring into my spouse, the day I stop praying over my spouse, the day I stop being intimate with my spouse is the day my marriage starts to die. So how long have we had marriages that are only held together by the fear of being punished by God for divorce? But we're not living in marriage as the way the Bible tells us to for the glory of God. You know, so you, you can claim that you believe what the Bible says. It's just like uh, Chase has been preaching on for the last couple of weeks. We claim we believe what this says, but we're not walking in the faith that we actually believe in. If you believe that God ordained marriage, then why are you treating your marriage like it's crap? Why are you disrespecting your husband every time you say something out of your mouth? Why are you talking bad about your wife when you're at work and making fun of her food or making fun of this or that? You know, why are you spitting on marriage every time that you say, let's quit, let's get a divorce? Even in just arguing to try to get something out of your your spouse, you know, you should never say the D word in marriage. In a Christian marriage, it should not be an option. Now, we know biblically, of course, adultery and um, abuse. You know, if your spouse does not repent and come to change, you do not stay in that marriage. I'm not talking to those extreme cases. I'm talking to two Christian people who claim, yeah, who claim they love God, who are not pouring into their marriage because they put it on the back burner instead of putting it in its rightful, rightful place. Like I said something last night when I was praying about this. I said, marriage is not work. It is the work. Marriage is your first ministry. There's no option. It's not, oh, marriage is their ministry or marriage is this person. Marriage is your ministry if you're married, your first ministry. So if you wake up daily and you're not praying for your marriage, most likely marriage is not your ministry. You're not making marriage a priority. So I just wanted to mainly point out on that fact that for one, we need to start thinking about our marriage. We need to renew our mind about why God puts you with your spouse. 
we need to be intentional about how we're actually acting towards our spouse. So hard. <laughs> um, do you have anything? I just want to. Uh, I, don't move. I was, uh, was uh, going to add that uh, you see some couples that they can't seem to find a good place. Like they're all there's always something there. Now you like. They have a fight all the time. They they argue. They they can't seem to come to common ground. And like we can look at the roots. Sometimes it's not having putting God at the center. And well, if you don't put God at the center, and then there's undealt with sin that you have done before. You know. Yeah. Uh, too many times do you see people that feel like they don't have to pray to their, or uh, repent to their spouse. If you're one flesh before God and spiritually. You need to tell your spouse that you sinned against them, that you hurt them, even before you were married. Because there's always going to be Satan's always going to use that. There's always going to be a little crutch, a little in the back of your mind that you're never going to see, and you'll never see the fullness that your marriage could be. And I feel like that's not preached on. People have taught, said, "What good does it do that to tell your spouse that? It's not going to. It's not going to fix anything that they've done, and it's not going to change it." So why bring it up and make more strife? But I'm sorry, but that's always going to nag at you, and your marriage will never ever exceed to the the point the potential it could be in God. So. And I'll just be honest with you. There is no better feeling than when you are struggling with something or being tempted in something, and you go to your spouse and say, "Can you pray for me? This is what I'm." Too much. We are like we marry a person. We have children with a person. We have a life with this person, but we can't pray with them. <laughs> you know, it's like I'll let you see all of my junk, but I'm not going to let you come near my prayer life because it's embarrassing. Or it's or it's like you know, I'll have physical sex with you, but let's not go near intimacy. Let's not let you in on this level, into my world, into my hurts, into my, uh, you know, what I've been through, into my sins even. But do you know that your spouse was put on here to help you? The Bible says that two is better than one because when one falls, the other one can help them up. So why do we live marriage saying that we're two as one, but trying to live and go through life on our own without reaching to the one God created to help us through life. Yes, we have the Holy Spirit. Yes, we have the Lord. But did you know if you're married that most of the time the Holy Spirit and the Lord are going to work through your spouse? Because he set it up that way for a reason. So so too many times I, I know people who are like, well, if I'm dealing with something or I need prayer, I'm just going to go directly to God or I'm going to go to my girlfriend. And get them to pray for me. And their spouse is over here twiddling their thumbs because they're like, well, she don't need me. He don't need me. What's the point? This person is supposed to be the person you go to first with God. You know, because obviously we know the Lord is first in your personal life. But when he is first in your personal life, then you're going to go to the spouse. Because that's the order that God set it up. And you come together as one flesh in the Lord to overcome things like temptation and sin in your marriage, right? And I'm just saying, I've the first couple of years of our life, I lived too afraid to tell him anything because I thought he would judge me or think I was crazy or anything like that. 
than the moment we started breaking through on intimacy and getting into real vulnerability, which was where we were naked and unashamed, not physically naked, but we were literally together naked spiritually and unashamed. That was when we reached a new level in our marriage. And I honestly don't think I could ever remarry after him because of that level we breached. I don't think I could ever get that with anyone else. That's what marriage is supposed to have available to you. If you've been married two years, if you've been married five years, if you've been married 15, 50 years, it's not too late for you to start entering into what God has ordained for marriage to be. Is it going to be uncomfortable? Absolutely. Anytime that we do something God is asking us to do, we're going to feel it in our flesh because our flesh does not want us to do the will of God. We're not yet rescued from the flesh. We will be when Christ comes back to get us. We have the Holy Spirit to give us power over the flesh, but you're still the, it's still there. So, of course, the time that you start entering into a new level of intimacy in your marriage, your old flesh is going to rise up. It's going to say, you're embarrassed. You can't pray with your spouse. You're going to sound dumb. She's going to judge you. She's going to think that you don't know how to pray or that you don't know the word of God. So don't do it anyway. That's just Satan being who he is. Yeah, a liar. You're agreeing with a liar. If the word says that you can do this with your spouse, that you can pray over your spouse, you can do, then it's true. You can So one thing that I just want to urge you to do today is to, to be intentional about taking inventory of your marriage. Be honest. Sit down with your spouse and have a hard conversation of what are we doing wrong? Because if you're, that's why it's, you get to marry equally yoked. Yes. Because when that does happen, you can sit down and you know your spouse isn't just going to go up and walk out the door. Because they love you like Christ loves the church. Yes. And so it's easy to do that. So just want to add that too. So that make sure you marry for people in the future. If you're not married, marry somebody that saves now if you got married prior to being saved yeah. and let's say one of you is saved and the other is not yeah. we have directions in scripture on what to do with that if it says if your spouse wants to stay with you even though you're saved and they're not then you stay with them and you pray for them and you live rightly in front of them so that their hearts may be turned to the Lord so there's your directions on what to do. That doesn't mean nag them to death until they get saved. That doesn't mean, you know, pray, but then be in fear and worry that they're never going to reach that potential. It says to pray, trust the Lord, and live rightly before your spouse. And so if any of you are listening and you have a spouse who's unsaved or is not doing their role, then what you need to be doing is praying for your spouse and living rightly in front of them so that they can see the change in your life and come to know the power of the change of Christ in their lives. So we do have a hope for those who have been saved after marriage and your spouse isn't saved yet, or your spouse may not be actively pursuing Christ right now, then that doesn't give you an out to pursue Christ. You know, that means that you need to full or fall fully into living rightly before them and praying over them and speaking rightly over them as well. Do you have anything else? Let me check. But yeah, so we've hit a lot of the major points that I wanted to talk to talk about today. 
But I want to come back to just this, this basis. Your marriage will not work if God is not the center of your life. And that's just the truth of it. Because marriage was an institution put in place by God, you cannot correctly work this institution without the creator of it being actively involved. So that's like me getting the blueprints of something and trying to figure out how it works without the inventor's uh, <laughs> input. You know, so, oh, what's this weird mechanism? Let me try to figure out how it works. And the inventor's over here being like, I can, I can tell you how to function that if you'll just ask me, you know? So the number one thing is, if you want a marriage that's not conflict-free because that's impossible. But a marriage, <laughs> but a marriage, yeah, that's a lot. But a marriage that can solve conflict well. If you want a marriage that you can trust, that you can come into unashamed, that you can come into for healing, then you go to God. You know, there is a, you can heal your marriage today. You don't have to wait a week. You know, it is going to be a process, but you can start it today. All you have to do is, number one, repent. One of the best things you can do for your marriage is start having a repentant heart. When y'all fight, even if you think you're right, apologize. Because where pride is living, your marriage is going to fail. That's one of the number one killers of marriage is pride. The inability to acknowledge wrong, the inability to apologize. And if you're fighting, just and just pray. Just get over it and or just get yourself, get over it. Even if your spouse is still mad, just start praying. You can't be mad at somebody that's praying. I mean, there are people out there that do, but <laughs> somebody that's saved can't be mad at somebody that's praying, especially yeah. your spouse. So there, That's a good tool. It's some of the times that we're fighting, most of, and I'll be honest, most of the time he's the one who does this, but he just stops and he prays with me. And it's very hard for me. Usually I'll be all big and bad and I just, <laughs> I just start crying and all my walls fall down. And then we make up and then the rest of our day is safe. We don't have to spend entire days mad at your spouse. It takes one second to repent to each other, to apologize and to move on. So maybe the conflict's not solved yet, but you can solve conflict in the spirit. You do not have to have the fruits of the flesh while you're trying to solve conflict. You can walk in the Holy Spirit and solve conflict at the same time. People don't think you can do that, but you can. So that's the thing is, you want you want to get over a fight, just pray together. It's going to go against every single feeling in your flesh in the moment, but as soon as you start, all that harshness and hardness is going to just melt away. And you're going to start feeling the Holy Spirit enter in because you've allowed Him to come in. Because when we have strife in our lives, we put a hindrance of God in our marriage. You know, because the Holy Spirit's not going to be where strife is. Because it's it grieves His Spirit to have strife and division. I did want to mention something. And this is literally just because I think it's so cool. And I've never seen it before in Scripture. So um, when Adam... When God told Adam in Genesis that it was not good that man would be alone, he's, the first problem that was ever on earth happened before sin entered into the picture. And that problem was man is not supposed to be alone. And God's solving of the problem was the creation of Eve. But Adam fell asleep, right? 
So it was in a peace that Adam waited for the promise that God had spoken to him. And God went in and removed the rib from Adam's side, you know, and created Eve. And uh, Matthew Henry has a commentary. He says the rib was removed from the side, not from the head so that the woman overpowered the man, not from the foot so that she was under his foot, but from the side so that she would walk alongside him, be under his arm and be close to his heart. I just thought that was a beautiful imagery of, of what the marriage is supposed to look like. But it goes even deeper. <laughs> this is just a cool fact. It may touch somebody's life. But um, Eve was removed from the side, the rib of Adam. And we know in scripture that Jesus is the second Adam, right? We had the first Adam who came and him and his wife screwed everything up and sent it to the earth. And then God sent the second Adam who came to save the world. Y'all. So last night I was reading this. Um, the second Adam was asleep in death on the cross. And his rib, too, was cut open. And out of that came the blood for the cross of the church and the water for the cleansing of the church, who is the bride. So the image of marriage, of, of the creation of the bride and the groom, is literally seen on the cross. We have the groom pay the price and the wife be created out of the side of the groom. And I just thought that was a beautiful imagery. And not only that is the groom is coming back for his bride. You could kind of say that we're engaged right now to Christ. But if we know in Jewish law that spiritually you were married to your spouse. You just hadn't uh, had sex yet. Pretty much. So back then, if you were engaged, you actually had to get a divorce. You didn't just break off an engagement. So right now, we're engaged to Christ because he has not come back to get his bride and us have the marriage lamb supper. So I just thought that was a really cool thing. I don't know. I really liked it. It helped me see the bigger picture of uh, the bride and the church. And the and I, you, can, you can start this now. Like, you don't have to. It's not too late to ever apply. God in your marriage. Put God first, then put God in your marriage, and you will flourish. There's no, there's no way you can't. Without God. So. Yeah. And so, so anyone who listens, uh, whoever has been with us in counseling or in teaching or anything like that, um, you know that we always give homework mm-hmm. <laughs> because anything that we do has a work tied to it. So. Um, all these kids running around. So homework for anyone listening today, wherever if you're here or if you're there. For the single, your homework is to learn what it means to be a godly spouse. And it's to start praying for your spouse now and interceding on their behalf and living a lifestyle that is holy and reverent to your spouse and honoring to them. If you're married, your homework is to pray with your spouse. If you've never prayed together before, then this is going to be the first time for you. But I want you to daily find even just five minutes to pray with your spouse. Or read the word. Yeah, read the word together. Another thing I want you to do is I want you to begin speaking over your spouse to their face. And we're going to do that here when the camera's turned off. But I want you to start speaking into your spouse who they are in Christ. Because it is time for us to get on our spouse's side to stop coming against our spouse 
and trying to overcome them with our will and always be the one who's right. But it's time for us to come together. I'm going to speak and pour into you and you're going to do vice versa because that's what marriage was created to do. So homework number two, besides praying together, is start speaking over your spouse, who they are in Christ. Because if you know anything, your spouse knows your faults better than you probably do because they have to live with you. But they're the ones who can speak to those places. They know that you're insecure. I can start speaking to you who you are in Christ and affirming you in those things. It's time for us to use our mouths for the glory of God and stop using them to tear down the person God put with you. Your job is to encourage and lift them up, not tear them down with your words. And and when I said you confess your sins to your spouse, I'm not saying that so that you can be uh, saved. It's so you can be healed. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, if we're one and I repent and I'm healed, it says in the Bible, if you repent your sins, one of you may be healed. Mm-hmm. Confess your sins. And uh, if you're one and your marriage is one, you can, you can do that so you can be healed. So your your marriage can be healed ultimately. So I feel like that's something that people don't do. Uh-huh. I, it's, I don't know why. Well, but it's a it's a it's usually based in a lot of the enemy mm-hmm. that of fear. That they'll but, leave. Uh, that they'll judge you. They'll leave me. They'll they'll think something bad they'll about want a divorce. Me. Yeah. If I confess this sin, then they won't want me anymore. Mm-hmm. Or even if it's not a sin against your spouse, this is someone you can go to to confess a sin to and be healed. Yeah. Because if y'all are living a biblical marriage, and I'll be like, we when we've done this, the Holy Spirit will kind of like when He did it to me and I did it to Him, it's like the Holy Spirit comes and covers my ears with His grace. So as He's talking to me about anything He's sinned, I'm hearing it through a lens of grace. So everything I'm hearing, I'm like, let me show you what God has for you. <laughs> like I'm not condemning or judging him when they he when he yeah when he confesses to me, I literally feel the Spirit rise up in me and say, "That's not true about who you are. You may have sinned, but there's grace available to you." And he's done it to me, vice versa. That's what marriage is supposed to be. Your marriage is supposed to every day point you back to Christ. And if it's not, it's supposed to be a it's supposed to show everyone else yeah. Christ as well. It's an image to the world. Mm-hmm. If it's not, you're not doomed. There's a <laughs> yeah. There's but a. you do have to do a work. You're you don't get to just fly by on the seat in your marriage. From this day forward, every day you have to be intentional about what you're pouring into your marriage and how you're speaking to your spouse and and showing your children a marriage that is worthy and wanted for them in the future. So, 